and uh, I turned to her and I said, do you want to do you want to take the sermon this morning? She goes, oh, well, what's it on? I said, it's on do not worry. Oh, you should be fine then. Don't worry about it. <laughs> you ready for it, Penelope? <laughs> um, it's an interesting passage, do not worry. It speaks to every age, doesn't it? It speaks to every generation, and it just kind of sits well historically. There is always worry in our lives. Interesting book by um, a guy named Dan Carlin called um, The End is Always Near. Um, Dan Carlin is a, is a podcast I follow quite a bit called Hardcore History. And he wrote this book basically saying that every generation in, his, in history faces an apocalypse, an end time scenario. We're always faced with it. And every generation in history feels it's the last. And so he goes through talking about some of these incidences that happen historically that are so similar in some ways to who we are today. And his argument is, is that if we don't learn from history, we'll keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. I want to tell you this one story uh, about this guy. His name is Lucius Cornelius Sulla. Now, if you had a top 10 list of the greatest generals of all time, historically, his name would be in it. But not many people know about who this guy is, right? Have you heard this guy before? Well, a couple of people have. But the reason why you don't hear much about him is because the people that followed him uh, superseded him. Gaius Pompeius Magnus, Pompey the Great, and even greater than Pompey the Great, Julius Caesar. They followed right after Sulla. So not much was talked about Sulla, but he was a great general. He had uh, basically single-handedly taken Jugurtha from the Numidians, which was a big deal at the time. This guy was a giant. He went in there, got him, brought him back to Rome in chains, and the whole thing. And he was part of a legion that included another guy called Gaius Marius. Marius was actually his general at the time. Together they fought off the Teutons, and the Cimbrians up north, and they were considered great generals. But they had a problem between each other, a problem that many of us today still have. One was conservative, the other was liberal. One held to the traditions of Rome and of the Senate, the other fought for the people of Italy, who made up most of the Roman uh, fighting force, but weren't allowed to be Roman citizens. So guess what happens? They, they turn on each other. Sulla, who had a, apparently a mop of orange hair, was referred to as the lion. And the lion also had quite a temper on him, apparently. And he was a, a traditionalist. He believed in the Roman Senate and in the traditions of Rome. Marius, on the other hand, was trying hard to fight for the rights of the Italians, that were the peoples outside of Rome or around Rome, that had been subjugated by Rome, and that were fighting for Rome. So one day, Sala decides with his armies, he's basically in charge. There's a whole backstory to it. But he's basically in charge of Rome, and he leaves uh, the consulship with a friend of his. He's got the Senate on his side, and he goes over to Asia Minor to fight Mithridates, who is this very wealthy guy who's trying to rebel against Rome. Now, Mithridates lived in a region that most of us should know because it's the region of where the seven churches of Revelation are in what we call today Turkey. 
So Sulla heads off there, and the moment Sulla leaves Rome with his armies to head off to fight Mithridates, Marius gathers his troops and comes to Rome and takes over. He kills all of Sulla's supporters. He kind of uh, subjugates the Senate and then starts making all these reforms. Now, Sulla is now halfway across the known world at the time, and he sends back an emissary, one guy, and he says, the lion will return and he will clear out the den. That was the only comment. That was all that was in. And the Romans just went into fear state. Within a week after receiving notice, Marius himself dies. Um, one of the famous Roman writers said that he died of nightmares, fearful of the lion that was returning. All of Rome went into a bit of a shock. There were uh, groups, now tell me if this doesn't sound familiar today, there was a group that completely denied that, that, that this would even happen. They just went about their own lives and they're like, nah, nah, nah. He's just going to go over there. He'll never come back. He's all fine. It's all good. We don't see anything. We know nothing. We'll just do our thing. Then there were the doomsayers on the other side who were saying, we're all going to die. He's going to come back and kill everybody. But the majority of them were in between. And something we don't realize today is back then, news traveled very, very, very slowly. There's stories of people getting up on the morning and going into the forum and, and waiting to hear, hopefully they got some news, but the news would be different every day. One day it would be, Mithridates completely wiped out Salah, he's dead, and there'll be cheers, yeah, the next day, well, we're not sure yet, he might have actually won the battle. Oh, he's on his way back, well, no, maybe he's not. Imagine living in that kind of worry and anxiety of what's going to happen. The reality was they didn't really know until he literally showed up Today, we don't necessarily have this problem, do we? For the most part, we know what's going on around us. Who knows that there was an earth, uh, a volcano erupting in Iceland? A lot of us know about that. That's like literally on the other side of the world. Instantaneously, we know this. When Krakatoa erupted 150 years ago, the world had no idea. In fact, they thought the end had come because the, literally the skies over London apparently went beat red. And they were wondering, what is that? What's, that? what's happening? The ancient world struggled with real worry. The Israelites would never know what would happen tomorrow. In Australia right now, there's quite a lot of floodings going on, water pouring from the heavens. Who would have believed that six months ago? A friend of mine who's a fiery, he's one of the chiefs there, he tells me that the ground is so dry and so parched that it's not even soaking the water. That's why these floods are happening. Who would have ever believed that? Yet one day to the next, all of a sudden, and that's the way they lived. They didn't have forecast weather reports. They didn't have forecasts of where the local uh, brigand was going to come and attack. Or we can see him on our little GPS. He's coming. It would show up that day. So can you imagine what life might have been like? You really had no idea what tomorrow brought. In 1990, Time magazine released this cover. High anxiety, looming recession, government paralysis, the threat of war, giving Americans a case of the jitters. That was 30 years ago. 15 years later, they had another cover. Understanding anxiety. More than ever, we are worrying ourselves sick. Has that 
changed today? Has any of that actually changed? I mean, this is 30 years, 15 years today, 150 years, 2,000 years. Jesus tackles this in such a simplistic way that many of us don't really take it seriously. It's easy for me to tell you, don't worry, it'll be fine. But we do still. Warren Worsby makes this comment. He says, it's often said that we are continually being crucified between two thieves, the regrets of yesterday and the worries of tomorrow. It's a powerful statement there. We are constantly caught in this in-between with the regrets of yesterday, the worries of tomorrow. There's a um, great book. It might be a little simplistic in its approach, but it is wonderful in its delivery. It's a book by Max Lucado called Traveling Light. And each chapter, he talks about burdens. He's got the burden of guilt as one chapter, the burden of, um, of uh, there's a whole lot of burdens. Um, burden. He's got the chapter on the burden of worry. He calls it this. That's the title of the chapter of the burden of worry. There's about 20 chapters on it. But in this, he talks about the what ifs and the howls. What if it rains tomorrow? What if I had married somebody else? Well, how well will I be able to pay next month's bill? And he talks about all these what-ifs and howls that almost plague our lives every day. And he ends with a very simple but powerful comment. He says this, God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. Because this, what we have today, is, is only today's strength. We keep thinking, what's going to happen tomorrow? When we're only dealing with the strength that we have for today. Meet today's problems with today's strengths. You don't have tomorrow's strengths yet. It's a powerful, simple response. You know, in Matthew, the verses that we heard earlier in chapter 6, where Jesus talks about worry, he ends it, and I'm reading you the message version from this. He says this, give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. Don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things will come up when the time comes. Whew. Now, who struggles with that? No one's daring to put their hands up. I struggle with it all the time. Yeah, baby, you and me. Who doesn't worry about tomorrow? I'm trying to think about buying a house. I can't afford it. I went to the bank and they told me they can't give me a 30-year loan because I'm too old. When did that happen? 
If I lose weight, can I lose age as well? I, you know, and then you start thinking, oh, my goodness, we can't get a 30-year loan. We can only get maybe a 25-year loan. Oh, maybe a 20-year loan. And we're looking at each other going, oh, we're worried about tomorrow. We've got really nothing. To, you know, and all these things, and you start worrying and worrying, and then you get this verse that comes up, and, and God just lays it so easily, so simply. Why are you worrying about tomorrow? I'll give you the strength for tomorrow when tomorrow comes. Worry about today. Keep your eyes on today. I've given you the strength to get through today. It's a powerful thing. Our world governs. Everyone hear this song? We're almost governed by it, aren't we? Don't worry, be happy. I want to slap somebody when they tell me, be happy when I'm worried. It's true, right? You can't stand those happy people around you when you are worried sick. Just be happy. I'm not happy. How can I be happy? It doesn't make sense, but we Christians, we can turn this around a little bit. And we can do this. We can say this. Don't worry. Be grateful. You know, that to me makes more sense. It doesn't minimize my worry. It just brings reality back into focus. You know, when we look at the Psalms, there's this pattern that plays out. In Psalm 9.1, it says this, I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all of my heart, and I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. You know, if you read the Psalms, there's a lot of worry in there. There's a lot of anxiety in there. There's a lot of anger and frustration in there, but it always seems to end on a positive note. And what turns them around what turns them around is that encounter with God, focus back on God, focus back, in our case, Jesus, and be grateful for what he has done, for, for what we do have, and what we do have to look forward to. I get bagged out a lot from family, friends, because I'm a Christian. Why are you a Christian, Rob? Why do you even, well, it's crazy stuff. Look at what your so-called Christian uh, counterparts do around the world. Look at, how can you believe in that? How can you, I'm like, look, mate, I've got hope. Jesus Christ gives me hope. I will worry myself sick if I did not have hope. How could I, how could I not? <laughs> I'm just so grateful for that. How do you live with that worry without hope? How can you get through the day without that hope? Jesus for me is everything. I don't care how the world was created, whether there's aliens living on another planet. All I know is Jesus is my hope. And that gets me through the day. And inevitably, every friend and parent, family, whatever I'm talking to, will just nod their heads and say, yeah, I, I get that. So you're challenged this week. Go back to those verses. Someone said, you should give us a memory verse, Rob. Well, this is a simple one. It's three words. Do not worry. And if you need to snap out of it, as I do quite frequently, when tomorrow starts overwhelming me, go to Psalm 9-1, I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart, 
and I will tell of your wonderful deeds and get my focus back on Jesus. Can you do that? Praise God. Let's ask the team, music team back up. Let's pray. Father God, I know for many of us, worries burden us, Lord, uh, overwhelm us at times, whether it's wanting to buy a house or, or dealing with bills or, or how are our kids going to go? How am I going to deal with tomorrow? So I pray, Lord God, Holy Spirit, that you cover our hearts as we wrestle with worry in our lives. And we, may, may we be able to turn our eyes and our spirit to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And may we talk of the wonderful deeds, not just to the people around us, but sometimes to the mirror that we face. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for being our help and our hope.